Hello and welcome to episode 4, part 2 of Becoming a Butterfly. Today we're going to talk about depression again, um, but this one's going to be a bit deeper. Um, I think I have to kind of give a trigger warning for anything I say, apologies, if it kind of hope it doesn't set anyone off. Um, this one's quite hard to talk about, hence why it's taken me about three weeks to record it. I keep rewriting my notes and thinking like, should I, is it worth saying things? But I'm kind of just going to lay it out on the table because as I've always been with everyone who knows me and follows me on my Instagram account, um, Strong Not Skinny Sarah, with a zero, not an O in strong, shameless plug. <laughs> um, yeah, anyone who knows me, it's very honest and open, anything I do share on there. So I think that's what my pod's going to be a bit like. Um, and this one kind of does share a few things that are, I don't know, quite raw and honest but we'll give it a go so we're gonna go straight in um and talk about self-harm which is not um a pleasant topic i guess but it's something that kind of needs to be talked about it's definitely not talked about often enough and i actually shared a blog post about it in december 2018 so two years ago and i was just reading it back now i haven't read it in a very long time I thought about like what bits can I take from it to put in the podcast and kind of prompt me to say things but I actually think I might just read out the blog post because everything I said then still rings true about what I want to say now so here goes I titled it I hurt myself on the outside to kill the monsters on the inside and I took a quote from Russell Brand who was talking about his experience and understanding of self-harm which I found on Twitter um back then And he said, the act of self-harm is an act of expression as well as an act of destruction, an impulse underneath an act such as that to be rid of the self. That sounds a bit, you know, airy-fairy, complicated. Um, But to me, it highlights how you're not just destructing yourself, you know. So people will look at someone who's self-harmed and they'll be like, wow, they're just destructing themselves, you know, what are they doing to themselves? But it's some sort of expression. And to me, I was trying to express what was going on on the inside. So I was hurting myself on the outside because I couldn't deal with what was going on on the inside. And this is something that's going to be um, prevalent throughout this episode is me talking about what goes on inside your head. Um, So that's what I focused on in the first episode, depression. You know, you've got this black dog, something that follows you around, all these thoughts and feelings inside your head. But with self-harm and suicide and panic attacks, OCD, anxiety, all these things I'm going to cover in this episode podcast episode um it's to me it was like voices in your head they actually talk to you so it's not just thoughts and feelings it's like actually somebody um in your head saying these things and as I said in the post and same with this podcast it's not an easy read or listen um but I just hope that sharing these kind of experiences isn't going to scare people away and make people think I'm some sort of freak because that is what the stigma does I'm hoping it's going to help people understand what I'm talking about and also be a bit more open when they come across it. Because, you know, when someone sees like scars, um, they might pretend they don't know what they're from or they might be like, oh, gosh, what's that? I remember my physio saw some scars on my leg once and he was like, oh, what's that? I was like, oh, I just fell over and like, I don't know, cut cut it on. I think I said I cut it on a bush. And he's like, Sarah, they look like pretty good, like sharp scars. Um 
because they were like such straight lines. I was like, yeah, God, must have been a pretty tough bush or something. Like something silly, I was like batting it off. He obviously knew what it was, but didn't know what to say. And I'm quite, like I have a team of physios back in England and I talked to them about anything. So I think they were a bit like, oh God, I want to help. But they didn't know how. So we'll carry on with the blog post. Um, I'm going to be brutally honest here. When you hear the word self-harm, most people think of sharp objects and blood and they squirm at thoughts. This is one of the multiple reasons there is stigma surrounding the topic and also highlights a big understanding. Yes, the act of self-harm was originally defined as intentionally and directly injuring body tissue, but it has developed a lot in the past years. As, Bus- Rus- as Russell Brand explained above, self-harm is simply an attempt to free yourself from your uncomfortable mind. This can involve so many things, yet most people aren't aware of what these might be. It becomes destructive because you are fighting your inner demons feels like an overwhelming urge that can only be controlled with physical pain but recently I've learned there is always a way out and I wrote this blog post in 2018 and then in 2019 2018-2019 was kind of the year I came out of it um I've self-harmed on and off for around six years now until this year I never truly understood what understood what I was doing or why I kind of just believed because I was depressed or anxious or highly stressed it was a common coping mechanism which it kind of is, you know, people have the stigma around it, but I do think it's a lot more common than people think because it's not something that is talked about often. During panic attacks, I would scratch the skin on my neck and face as if I was literally trying to lift my head off my body. I couldn't deal with the thoughts. Sometimes I would strangle, try to strangle myself to make the thoughts in my head or the things I was saying stop. Often I would bang my head against sharp objects and punch my eyes as if to stop myself seeing nasty images in my mind. When I've been sad or lost, I've used scissors to make marks on my legs and hands because it turned the mental pain into physical pain and became easier to plaster up. When I'm anxious and stressed, I pick up my face, finding non-existent pimples and imperfections that I can squeeze and scratch away as if I'm scratching away at my thoughts or feelings. My relationship with food is probably the most self-harming of them all. My anorexic mind was addicted to starving myself, my binge-eating mind was addicted to any and every food, and my purging mind was addicted to ridding myself of any food. The act of physically doing something, whether that be to yourself or another object, is often the quickest form of relief and hence the easiest thing to do. In the moment, from my physical experiences at least, sorry, from my personal experiences at least, it is the only option. When I first started experiencing panic attacks and ended up with bruising, bruised eyes, my parents bought me a punch bag. I tried it a few times, but I never got the same satisfaction. I tried scribbling in diaries instead of scratching my body, but again, it didn't provide the same relief. I've always had fairly strong support system, but nobody could do anything to alleviate the mental or physical pain unless I was self-harming. Until recently, I've never shared these experiences with anyone, but I'm able to now open up in order to raise awareness and get people talking to remove the stigma. I have a much more stable mentality and a very strong support system, both at home and at university. That was back then, obviously, still now while I'm in Australia. At the start of my final year, end of September, I was starting to struggle. I was aware of some things that had really got me down, but equally I didn't know why I felt so meh, meh when life really wasn't all that bad. Despite my naivety and belief that nobody will ever notice when I'm down or hurt, two of my closest friends came into my room one night after lacrosse to check up on me. They were very, very brave and just openly asked me why I'd hurt myself and what was going on. This conversation was the first time I'd ever explained to someone why self-harm sometimes feels like the only option. In the moment, it's a call of... De- Sorry. God, I can't actually believe I'm getting sad about this. It's hard to talk about. Um, in the moment, it's a call of depression and a cry for help. I'll openly admit that. 
sorry, I had to pause there. Um, just thinking back to that time, I remember two of my closest friends and they always have been through uni and always will be my closest friends. Um, and it was just brave of them to kind of come in and like, not, they weren't attacking me at all. They were, they cared about me and, um, it's the first time someone's kind of done that and just kind of said like, what are you doing? But not, what are you doing? You're being silly. Kind of, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? We want to help you. We want to understand. And like the respect I have for them doing it and knowing how much they care. And I just remember that conversation. It wasn't an easy one, but after that, things got so much easier. Um, This conversation was the first time I'd ever explained to someone my self-harm sometimes feels like the only option. In the moment, it's a call of depression and a cry for help. I'll openly admit that. However, the moment you stop doing whatever it is to harm yourself, the regret kicks in. The cycle of destruction has finally started spinning. You get stressed, depressed, sad, angry or lonely. So you self-harm. You calm down and realise what you've done. You regret it, feel embarrassed and ashamed and want to hide from everything and everyone. You feel stressed again because of the regret, etc, etc, etc. I remember at university I did it once and one of my closest friends, a different one, um, was this guy, we're in the pub and he was like, oh, I have a dear hand because I had it wrapped up and by now I'd become a pro. And I was like, ah, oh, stupid Sarah, you know, I think I've got, um, what I can't remember what they're called, but those really tough hands when you can just touch hot things. So I was like, oh, I just took a pan out of the oven and burnt myself. Um, and that's kind of the lie I told to people. And then... Um, in future, I did actually tell him um, what was going on. But yeah, at the time, you you can't admit to it because, well, I couldn't personally because I was just so embarrassed and ashamed of it. And it's not something I'm proud of. Um, when, in, when you're doing it, you do not think about anything apart from just shutting up the voices in your head. That's all you're trying to do. But straight away after, you're like, what have I just done? Um, my friends and family always remind me there's always there for, they're always there for me and they're only a message or call call or car journey away i am honestly so grateful for this and their kindness but hand on heart i would never be able to call for someone's help in a time of need that involves self-harm the shame and embarrassment that follows self-harm is just as destructive as the action i used to lock myself in my bathroom during a panic attack turn the shower on to hide my crying wait an hour to calm down and tidy myself up then not want to leave my house for hours or even days these feelings are hard enough for people to deal with let alone the added stigma surrounding self-harm only making it all 10 times harder I'm aware this post and this podcast shows a very brief but harsh reality and isn't exactly enlightening. I'm trying to show you the workings of someone's mind who's been through it and is hopefully finally coming out the other side. I can confirm now I have come out the other side of that. The last time I soft harm was around the end of October, start of November, and I did actually do it. Um, I think it was May um, after that where something happened. Um, and I remember my friend saying to me, he's like, oh, I saw your hands. I hope you're OK. And it's like, um, well, no, I'm clearly not okay. But what people don't know what to say, you know. And him even just kind of saying that and being brave enough to acknowledge that he'd seen what was going on and was kind of like, I do care, but I don't know how to care kind of thing. Um, That's a starting point. So I just think if you're a friend of someone who's been through it or is going through it, then acknowledging it and telling the person who's doing it that you've acknowledged it is scary, but it's necessary. In the eyes of someone who's experienced, of anyone who's experienced similar, even just one day a week is a very big step to stopping. 
I tried other methods of pain relief and coping mechanisms to alleviate the mental distress without self-harming. I honestly don't think there's many harder situations than when your mind is at war with itself and the true you. Nobody truly wants to hurt themselves, nobody really wants to live in a mind they can't handle, and nobody chooses to suffer mental or physical pain. Self-harm presents itself in so many forms and none are worse than any other. The key to relief is understanding why someone wants to free themselves from within and finding a personal way to handle the uncomfortable thoughts. It isn't easy, it's trial and error, but it's possible. You don't have to settle for hurting yourself or self-destructing. I used to think I'd suffer for life, but day by day my thoughts and feelings are getting easier to bat away. Let's stop shaming self-harm, end the stigma and help people find their way out. So that was just my blog post. Um, And I hope that kind of you know, shed some light on what it's like. And I actually forgot I kind of wrote that and I'm quite proud of how well it was written, um, hence the tears. Apologies about that. Um, and yeah, I kind of summed it up there, um, my experience with self-harm and why I did it and kind of what I did. And my biggest thing is that when you're going through it, don't think it's the only thing to do. Don't I thought it was the only way to physically stop these voices in my head because you're taking the pain from being mental and making it physical, which is easier to deal with, hence why physical health is easier to combat than mental health, in my opinion anyway. But as someone who's been through it, there are other ways out. I haven't done it for, what, two years now? Maybe a year. Um, Yeah, yeah. But I haven't even thought about doing it. And it's removing those kind of triggers from your surroundings. So like I say with diet, if you outside out of mind it's the same with things with self-harming and you can find other ways to alleviate yourself whether that be going outside and literally just screaming at the top of your lungs obviously depending where you live um going for a walk um doing boxing that's really helped me i really believe that boxing has helped me and not because i do my boxing sessions purely because i have like pent-up energy and anger but because it's a really good pain relief like you're just throwing getting all your strength out of there and finding something like that that releases all this energy and anger inside your head and body is what's most important in my opinion and the other thing I wanted to talk about on this podcast was suicide so again trigger warning sorry it's quite um raw and honest again but I'm gonna read out my blog post again and I don't want this to kind of just be me narrating blog posts but I feel like it's easier to listen to experiences some nowadays anyway than to kind of read blogs um and everything I said back then like I said does ring true so it's still relevant um so my question was I put it on Instagram um and then made it into a blog post and my pe- question was do you know what it feels like so March 31st 2012 my initial appointment at the Priory concluded I could start eating disorder treatment as an outpatient yay everyone wants to do that The next day, the doctor called to tell my parents I actually needed to become an inpatient as soon as possible, simply based on the fact my heart was beating at 30 beats per minute. I've always been scared of death, but this call now made it my reality. As much as I didn't think anything was wrong with me and I didn't want to recover, I also didn't want to die. 14 years old and possibly facing my biggest fear. And once anxiety and depression joined the mix, life was a constant battle of wanting to die, but being scared to actually do it. This is something I have never talked about, but it's been pending since last summer so here goes do you know what it's like to look over a cliff and instead of looking at the view you think about jumping 
Have you ever been scared to take a bath because you don't trust yourself not to drown? Does a bottle of wine ever remind you of the times you've tried to shatter one on your head? Is there a pair of scissors you'll never use again because they were once a magnet to your wrists? Do the sweat, tears and heart palpitations of a panic attack... Sorry. Heart palpitations of a panic attack tell you life would be easier with no breaths. Are you scared of feeling anger because it may lead to violence? Have you ever got in a car and wondered what would happen if you never got out? Well, these questions were a reality for me. And I say were because it's been a long time since I've thought about these things, which is so incredibly lucky. But I know some people don't have the chance to kind of fully get over their suicidal thoughts. And I still do have kind of the negative thoughts a lot. Um, Not daily, which is massive for me maybe weekly or fortnightly but again I know some people don't have that but I'm just here trying to make it a not a common thing to talk about but make it less stigmatized and a bit more okay for others I've been very open about my journey apart from this purely because I didn't want people to think I'm mad or dangerous or psycho all in inverted commas now I realize I'm none of those they're actually just meaningless labels Every single one of us is unique. Our thoughts and feelings are all individual to ourselves and our experiences. The other day, a friend reminded me that you can't change what you think, you can only change how you react. And a book I finished reading the same day taught me that being mad is simply a consequence of channeling your true thoughts and feelings and not succumbing to societal expectations and rules. So yes, at times I've considered suicide and yes, at times I've attempted it, but I've never once gone through with it. Hence why I'm still alive, I guess. I've accepted that my fear of death is always going to linger, but ultimately the realisation that I can actually control how I respond to this is enough to change my actions. I'm still very cautious, but no longer afraid. This journey has slowly taken me away from such a dark place and taught me to accept my thoughts, own my thoughts, and deal with them in a way that means I'll still be here the next day. I only hope the same can happen to anyone else who can relate to this post. And the exact same goes for this podcast episode. And I know I've kind of just... um, wrote uh, read out sorry two blog posts but for me that's plenty of emotion for one day going through them and they both shed a light on my experiences with suicide and self-harm and I'm looking at my notes now to see if I've missed anything off that I wanted to talk about that's not in them and not really um I just want to focus on the fact that these for me personally anyway and hopefully people can relate all of this comes from these voices in your head that aren't actually normal you want them to leave you alone and your reactions to this, the suicidal and self-harming thoughts, are you trying to force them out of your mind? Um, and like I said, the suicide is make, making it a physical presence so that you can deal with it a bit better. I haven't talked much about OCD and panic attacks and anxiety, so I will do that in, I guess, I'll make it part three. Um, or maybe, I know, I'll just make it in episode five because um, it doesn't like exactly the depression but I hope what I've shared today is kind of shocked some of you into the reality of maybe not what you're going through but maybe what others are going through around you and the fact that I'm sharing this is not again for you to feel sorry for me and to be like oh my gosh I didn't know what can I do to help because I luckily I don't need that help anymore I've figured out ways for myself and I've kind of dealt with it all and come out the other side but maybe someone around you does need that help and you messaging them right now saying hey mate I saw your wrists or saw your arms or saw your legs or seen that you're going through a tough time or anything just letting them know that you're there and letting them not just letting them know you're there acknowledging the fact that you've seen the hard times they're going through 
because you could message me and be like, hey, I'm here for you. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. I know that. And I say that to my friends, but actually acknowledging like what they're going through, being like, hi, I'm here for you because I've seen you, seen this, blah, blah, blah. Um, Highlighting what they're actually going through and kind of shocking them into it as well makes them kind of realise and be like, shit, actually people are seeing this and I need to do something about it. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm not sure enjoyment is the right word, but I hope you can take something away from this podcast. And if you liked it, please can you go to Apple Pods or Google and rate my podcast Becoming a Butterfly because it would really help it get more kind of momentum. And I did get an email today saying the podcast has reached 750 downloads, which is amazing. So thank you very much for listening and I hope you have a good day.